welcome to Quid Pros Quo. I'm Rin. And I'm Zach. And today we are talking about world building culture. And this is a really big thing. And yep. we're going to do our best to break it down. Right before we started recording, I was just telling Zach that when I was making my part of the show notes, I was like, my thoughts are too broad and amorphous to put into words. I just didn't have the brain power to do it. So shout out to Zach <laughs> for filling out all my like very vague notes. <laughs> um. Just as a side note, um, culture encompasses a lot of things, um, but there are certain aspects that we have broken out into separate episodes. So we are not going to talk about language inside, like constructed languages specifically inside of this episode. If you want to learn more about that, go back to episode 16 and 17 where we talk about um, constructed languages. And then we're also not going to talk about religion at length, um, but our next episode is going to be about religion. So stay tuned for that. With all that in mind, let's talk about some aspects of culture. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the good places to start is talking about the family, which is how people are organized at the lowest level. Like the most basic social unit is the family, right? Um, do people live in nuclear families? The answer is probably not, um, unless you're in 1950s America. But... That's besides the point. Um, do they live in extended families? Are there communal parenting arrangements? Is it like a clan? Or like how is the how is the family set up? Mm-hmm. This can also go into talking about when people get married. First of all, who are they allowed to marry? And when they get married, who do they live with kind of thing. If you have a culture that has extended family networks where you have, you know, grandpa is the head of the head of the household, and then, you know, sons leave to go, you know, sons leave, they go find a wife, and then they bring the wife back. That's going to have a different culture than if, you know, grandpa's the head of the cult, the head of the house. But when the sons leave, they live with their wife's family, right? There, That's a difference in culture that's going to ripple out into other things that you're going to talk about. So whenever you're talking about the family, you're also going to t- touch on gender roles as well as, you know, social stations. So in a lot of cultures, the oldest child has a particular role. Um, inside of Near Eastern societies, circa the, you know, when you're talking about classical uh, Near Eastern societies, um, you know, the oldest has the birthright, right? And they have a responsibility to take care of, you know, to take care of the family. Um, when their father dies, they're responsible for taking care of their mom, Right. Um, does your culture, does your fantasy culture have something like that? Or does the second child have something or the, like the last child, just as a side note, if you're going to give a kind of role to the last child, you're probably dealing with a more industrialized society because in a pre-industrial society where infant mortality is high, you don't know who the youngest is going to be. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty hard to say you have a responsibility if I don't know who you are. Yeah. Uh, if I can offer an example of this, in my Wonderland series, the oldest son follows the mother's trade and the second, or the oldest child, in my, the concrete example in my in the prequel is sons, but the oldest child follows the mother's trade and the second child follows, follows the father's trade, so is it something like that, and then all the rest of the kids are free to do whatever they want? Like, where does the responsibility fall? The world is your oyster when you're exactly. world-building cultures. So true. Um, the next thing I like to think about with world-building cultures is the arts. And I have a quote from Dead Poets Society that I just love. 
Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. And that was Robin Williams. Yeah. I love Robin Williams. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Um, and when we talk about the arts, like, of course, poetry, beauty, romance, love. But it's visual, performing, and culinary, and architecture. And you're looking at, like, what the art is like versus also the institutions around it. Like, are there art museums in your world? Are there, you know, are there schools to go to learn to be an artist? Like, mm-hmm. how, where is art valued in your society? And I feel like in a lot of sci-fis, they don't value art as much. Mm-hmm. Where there's fantasy, art is more valued over science. Mm-hmm. But, like... If you get a society without art, it becomes soulless, in my opinion. So I think that's an important thing to consider while world building. Yeah, I think a good example of a sci-fi culture that actually values the arts is the... Uh, um, I'm not going to try and pronounce it because it's one of those words that I can read, but I can't pronounce because it has an X in it and then a, like a, another consonant after it. So I'm like, ah, what? But the, the empire in A Memory Called Empire is all about the arts, right? Poetry is super important to them and fashion is important. Um, you're looking it up right now and you're seeing how difficult... I, am, I have no idea what word it is, though. I'm like... I it starts know. with like a TL and then there's an X in it. Oh, somewhere. gosh. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to give it my best guess. <laughs> Go for it. Tixkalani? Maybe? Great. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, when you are world building, it is possibly a good idea to make sure your words are pronounceable. It won the Hugo, so apparently that wasn't an issue for them. <laughs> You're right. It won a ton of awards. But, like, for ease of talking about your book, I try to make sure all my words are pronounceable. Like, the hardest thing I do is I put I throw in some French, and, like, some argue that that's not pronounceable. But, like, wow, that's a hard word. Okay, anyways, sorry, sidetracked. Um, it's still a good book. You should go read it. It looks like a great book. I'll add it to my wish list. No shade to... Arcadi Martin. Arcadi Martin. Thank you. Like, I respect people who can come up with cool words, even if I can't say them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, custom, next up, costumes and traditions in your world. What, like, what kind of behaviors or rituals do people perform on a daily basis? Um, so, some examples, right? Because one of the things that, you know, one of the things that is kind of overarching when you're talking about world-building cultures is that if you have never encountered another culture, it's really hard to recognize what parts of your own experience are culture and what parts of them aren't. So, you know, travel, do all those sorts of things in order to learn about other cultures and to experience them. But here are some examples. Taking your shoes off when entering a building, right? Greeting others with a handshake, a hand wave, kisses on the cheek, hugging. Like, how do people greet each other? How do they say goodbye? How do they say thank you? You know, those are all parts of culture. Um, One example that I'll point out from spending time in the California Latino community is that whenever I visited somebody's house, I was always offered food or water or something. And it was expected that I take it, right? And that's part of the culture, is that I'm going to offer this to you and I expect you to take it, kind of thing. Whereas in other cultures, the the norm is to offer food, but then for the person who is receiving the offer to refuse it, and that is what is polite. Um, where if you accept it, you're being rude. Um, so 
that's it. You know, that's an example about culture. And that will often feed into the history of your world mm-hmm. and like the history of the culture. And we have an upcoming episode on history, so never fear, we will go into it. There are also traditions around etiquette and formality, and this is where I think it's really a really funny trope comes from, where like you're going to another culture and then you do something that's so normal and polite in your culture and it's rude in the other one. Mm-hmm. I think of in Dune when yeah. the, I think it's the Fremen like spit before the Duke of Arrakis, mm-hmm. and that's like considered like a gift, like an offering of your body's water because water's so sacred. Um, but at least in the movie, and I think this also happens in the book, but it was it was very memorable to me in the movie. Like, all the Duke's guards, like, surge forward about to, like, arrest the Fremen. Yeah. But then he's like, the Duke is like, no, I see what's going on here. Like, I get it. So, I think that trope is kind of funny, where it's like, I'm doing a nice, normal thing, and then it's like, you are about to be murdered for this. <laughs> I think it's funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, other examples of customs and traditions in your world, holidays and rites of passage. So what is celebrated in the life of an individual? So births, graduations, you know, graduation is, uh, you know, part of education, family formation, right? What, what, what is celebrated? What is celebratory about an individual's life? Or in a communally-based culture, what is celebratory in the community's life? And what marks the transition from child to adult? We're going to talk about, you know, that idea of child to adult a little bit later. But, you know, coming-of-age ceremonies, what, what's going on with that? Do they do graduations where you play pomp and circumstance? But nobody really knows why we play pomp and circumstance at graduations. Mm-hmm. Or we wear fancy robes that have to do with medieval traditions of, yeah. you know, priesthood. But... And it's okay for you. This goes back to rule of cool. If there's something cool, you can play it. Like I wouldn't necessarily call pomp and circumstance cool. Maybe I just played it way too many times as a high school band student every year for graduation. Except you were for one of own. those kids sitting in the band, like sitting in the little pit. I was. I feel really called out right now. Okay, this is a day. I was just at a graduation, so I'm. Okay. I remember it very vividly. Very fair. Um. Yeah, I've lost it. But, like, if you have, like, this cool idea, like, for example, if you think playing pomp and circumstance and your coming of age is, like, the best ceremon- ceremonial thing you can do, then do it, and you don't even have to have a reason behind it. You can just, like... It's the culture. It's the culture. It, we, this is just how it's done. And that goes into, like, storytelling again. Like, this is how it's done, and no one questions it. Mm-hmm. Until one day... Yep. Um... So kind of circling around to, I mean, this kind of goes into etiquette and formality, but there are also bits about culture that have to do with people communicating with each other. Um, so it, for, this is an example, again, from my time living in the Latino community in California, is that when I would ask somebody to do something, if they said maybe, I learned that that meant no. But it was rude to just flat out say no. So instead you would say maybe or some iteration on maybe because there were a bunch of ways that they said maybe. Um, If they said yes, then it meant yes. But if it was maybe, it probably meant no. Um, And that's an example of like, you know, that's an example of differences in communication, right? Yeah. Uh, our final category that we're going to talk about today, because again, we did conlinging in episode 16 and 17, and upcoming episode 60 will be on religion, but values and beliefs. So, an ontology is a category of thought, and 
this is really important when you're like thinking out your values and beliefs. So you can think of like child and adult, and for a long time there's like no in between. There's like this coming of age where like you are no longer a child and you have become an adult, and there's no in between. Right. Whereas I was saying in our like current day and age, at mm-hmm. least in like America, you have like this one transition like teenager stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, unrelated, one of my favorite memes right now is to say it's so hard to be a teenage girl in her early twenties. <laughs> I think it's so funny and it's so true. I feel like I'm mean, like if a teenage girl was non-binary and in her early twenties. <laughs> um, a teenage non-binary person. Yeah, but a teenage girl has a better ring to it. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so um, you could talk about time. How is time measured? So in the West, we have things like weeks and months and years. Um, but in some cultures, you have seasons, you have moons, like you have, um, you know, generations. There are different ways that you can think about measuring time. And that's part of what's going on with an ontology or a mental category. Um, an interesting article that I read a little while ago talks about how in Greek, like ancient Greek, there's no word for blue. Mm-hmm. And so when... You know, when you're reading ancient Greek writing and it's describing things like the ocean, it describes the ocean as the color of wine, right? Um, Or it describes the sky as the color of an ox's back um, because it doesn't have a word for blue, right? So that's an example of an ontology that impacts the way that people talk about the world and that they conceive the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, as a side note, I have read some essays on, like, how different color words arose over time, and they are fascinating. If I can find them, I will try and link them in the description. For example, you want to know which came first, the name for the color or the name for the fruit? It was named for the fruit. Interesting. I did not know that. Yep, the color is named after the fruit. That is so fascinating. Because, mm-hmm. like, orange doesn't come up in nature a lot. And it often, like, comes out from, like, being in nature more or less, like, mm-hmm. Or if something is, like, ubiquitous, like, the sky, and they don't need a color for it, they just have, like, the word for the sky. Yep. So, anyways, fascinating stuff to consider in your potential world building. Um, you can also talk about, like, commonly held values amongst the people and how that influences the way they interact with each other and other cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, you can think of, like, case study private property. Like, in the West, we think everything can be owned. Mm-hmm. Not everything, but, like, land. Land, yeah. But, like, most things can be owned in the West because we're a very capitalist society. Mm-hmm. But if you look at, like, Imperial China, everything is owned by the empire. And in, like, indigenous American cultures, there's no concept of private property because it's all communal. Mm-hmm. So that goes along with thinking about what is moral versus immoral behavior. Um, another example that I will borrow from a book that I'm currently reading called um, Misreading Scripture Through Western Eyes that talks about uh, cultural assumptions that Westerners bring to reading ancient uh, Judeo... Uh, Christian? Well, I was going to say Greek, but yes. Um, documents is uh, talking about conceptions of wealth, right? Inside of the West, we think of wealth as infinite, right? There is an infinite amount of wealth. There's enough to go around, and this goes into, you know, the self-help um, community that's talking about, you know, an abundance mindset, right? We have an abundance mindset when it comes to when it comes to wealth. But most cultures throughout history have thought about wealth as something that is finite and a zero-sum game. So if you have wealth, then I can't have it because there's a finite amount of money in existence. So if you have a whole bunch of money, it means that you are holding money that I can't have, and therefore you are immoral. We should just print more money. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the violence, but I could not resist. I've been thinking a lot about stuff like this. 
Uh, I've been thinking about how the stock market is astrology for men. <laughs> I am going off today. I'm going <laughs> to stop now. Um, anyway, do you have any other last thoughts on culture? Here we do a recap. Well, I was just going to say that goes into thinking about what is moral versus immoral behavior. Mm-hmm. Because the idea of saving money inside of the West is seen as something that is moral. And, you know, putting together a nest egg of a million dollars is something that is considered a good idea. But in other cultures and at different times, you know, people would look at us and be like, excuse me, like you're putting why are you putting that much money away? Which also I mean, we is... still have that. <laughs> yes. We should stop our social commentary. I think we've done it number one day. <laughs> we got to get it all out before we do our religion episode, right? Oh, my gosh. I have so much on the religion episode. Speaking of, we got to go record that. Thank you so much for tuning in to Quid Pros Quo. Quid Pros Quo is hosted by DC Winters and CK Jensen. If you like this episode, be sure to leave us a rating. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at quidprosquo at gmail.com. For more episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.